0: Many of you know that there is an ancient Christian greeting on Easter morning where one says, Christ is risen, and the other responds with, He has risen indeed. It's from Luke 24:34, which says, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So from the very first Easter, this greeting has been used for thousands of years by the followers of Jesus. So let's do that now, Cornerstone Church. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. As I mentioned a couple minutes ago, um, I, um, I had that knee surgery, and um, and I've learned some things about myself in the process. Most of them kind of unflattering. So I've learned that I'm a bad patient, not because I don't do what the doctors and the PT people tell me to do. But I'm a bad patient because I hate to be a bother. I kid you not, after surgery, and you know, I got in for 7.45 in the morning, left by three in the afternoon. After surgery, I felt guilty to have to have the nurse help me get out of bed to dress myself, okay? So imagine how I feel with Marla, because she's had to take care of everything for the last two weeks. If there's anything that I wanted the first week, she had to get up out of whatever she was doing, whatever chair she was in, whatever project she was in, and go fill my water bottle. And, um, and I've realized that, that the more I hate being a bother, the more of a pain I am to the people who are trying to take care of me. So we all know that, um, that in this marriage, Marla's the saint. So thank you for all your prayers for me. But I would love if you would just praise God for people like Marla and other caregivers here who you just love the people around you so well, constantly. All right, I've also learned how much of a clueless wonder I am, especially when it comes to medical stuff. So, um, before the surgery, I kept telling people, it's no big deal. I looked it up, right? Over 800,000 people in America get knee surgery every single year. And I probably talked to 100,000 of them who all said the exact same thing. They all said, they all said you know, it'll hurt, but it'll be worth it. So being a, a glass half full type guy, I thought I just focused on the second half. Oh, it'll be worth it. I should have paid a lot more of attention and wondered why do they all say it will hurt? So after, I, um, after the surgery, I texted my two sisters, Becky and Mary, who've both had knee replacements and this is like two days or three days after. I mean, the first, first eight hours, you're still on some kind of nerve block, so it's fine, and then you just drop down into this hole. And I texted my two sisters and I said, when were you two gonna tell me that this was gonna be the most painful experience of my life? Clueless wonder. The doctor, 20 minutes with the orthopedic doctor, at the end he says, do you have any questions? And I said, I've never done this before. I don't know what questions I should have. Should I ask you any questions? He said, Ah, no, you're going to be fine, clueless wonder. Um, And then thirdly, um, I've learned I'm a wimp. (laughs) I've broken a number of bones over the years. Usually playing sports or doing something kind of stupid. Um, I've actually preached like three times sitting down, because there have been three times prior to this that I broke bones on Saturday and then had to preach on Sunday. I've not had a major surgery in my life since college. They repaired the ligaments in my right ankle from playing soccer. And so I've not experienced much physical pain in my life. After the surgery, our son Daniel, who's a um, nurse practitioner, he said to me, he said, I don't know whether you remember, Dad, um, but my first you know summer after high school, I was on the ortho wing of the hospital trying to figure out whether I wanted to become a physical therapist. And he said, he said, <laughs> He tried to tell me ahead of time. He said, you know it's gonna hurt, right? And I said, yeah, but it'll be okay. So he said, he said, what would happen in the ortho wing is the 60 and 70 year old guys would come in and they would moan and groan and, and just practically have tears in their eyes as a physical therapist were trying to get them to do their exercises. And then some 80 year old woman would come in smiling and happy, and do all of those same exercises and put all of the 60 to 70 year old guys to shame. And so I realize I'm kind of a wimp. I had an eye doctor appointment on Friday, and I hobbled in on my crutches, and it was in the afternoon, so I was kind of already in pain at that point. And and I walked in and the little old lady at the receptionist desk, little old lady, she was like maybe five years older than me. She said, what'd you do? And I said, knee replacement surgery two weeks ago. And she said, oh, I had both of mine done. And then I had my hip done as well, because it was so good. (laughs) So in my pain this week, though, I was reminded of a 94-year-old woman that was in our church way back in Minneapolis. And she was in constant pain. She was the sweetest, most godly person that, that you could probably ever meet but she was in constant, constant pain. And so whenever I would meet with her one-on-one, I would ask her, how are you doing in your spiritual walk with all of the pain? And I remember one time I asked her, and I, I just remember so clearly, she said, Pastor Bill, I've learned when I'm in pain to wait patiently for Jesus to come and be with me in my pain. And I was, di- I was digesting that, But then she looked me directly in the eye and said, Pastor Bill, remember when you're in pain to wait patiently for Jesus because he will always come and find you and he will be with you. That's maybe one of the things that I did right the last few weeks. I've stopped a number of times um, nearly every day and I've waited for Jesus to find me and be with me in my pain. I've had nights where I've had like an hour and a half of sleep and through the night, I just invite Jesus and say, will you come and be with me in my pain? And so this Holy Week with all the extra time on my hands, because I couldn't do anything else and wide awake through a number of nights, I kept coming back to Hebrews 12. Remember Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set out for us. And this is the part. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So throughout Holy Week, each day, I woke up each morning and I wanted to to kind of review when, what went on on the first holy week each day of the week from the eyes and perspective of Jesus. And I kept hearing Hebrews 12:2, for the joy set before him he endured the cross. So, on Palm Sunday, as he is riding into, or not riding, as he's walking to Jerusalem before he gets there to be on the donkey, there's a point from Bethany going into Jerusalem where there's a rise, and you get to the top of the rise, and Jerusalem is set out in front of you. And many, many um, people have gone on pilgrimages talk about that point, and it's there where we think that it was that Jesus paused as the city was laid out before him, and we're told Jesus wept. But he didn't weep for his own pain. He wept for the pain that was coming to the people and to the city of Jerusalem. And then on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, cleansing of the temple, the constant antagonism from the religious leaders who were plotting to kill him. I just kept imagining Jesus saying, For the joy set before me, I will endure the cross and despise its shame. And then I woke up on Monday, Thursday this week, and I felt something kind of subtly shift in my spirit. Instead of waiting for Jesus to find me in my pain, I sensed a quiet invitation from Jesus to go and find him in his pain on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. That Thursday... When Jesus walked from Bethany into Jerusalem, it was the last time that he would do that walk before he died on the cross. And he knew he was going to Jerusalem to die. Then he had the Passover meal with his disciples. He washed their feet. He showed them the full extent of his love. He identified Judas as his betrayer. And then he gave his disciples his final words. It's called Monday Thursday from the, the word Monday means command because he gave them a new command, love one another as I have loved you. And then they left and went to the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed, not my will father, but your will be done. And then everything accelerated. All of a sudden the temple guard was there in the garden. Jesus was arrested. All of his followers abandoned him, and then he had a sleepless night. He didn't sleep on Thursday night. He didn't sleep till he died. He was um, taken to, as Danny shared on Good Friday service, was taken through a number of mock trials. He was um, condemned. He was whipped. A crown of thorns was put on his head. And by 9 a.m. on the original Good Friday, Jesus was hanging on the cross, and around 3 p.m. he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he died. When Jesus died on the original Good Friday, hope died for everyone who knew him and loved him and followed him. But the central claim of the Christian message is that on Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. On Easter Sunday, the tomb was empty because by the power of God, Jesus Christ was resurrected. And I hope you know this. If Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead, Christianity is just another choice among world religions. If he wasn't resurrected, it makes Christianity not that much different. But if Jesus was resurrected from the dead, as is what the historic Christian message proclaims, then that changes everything forever. So, decades after the first Easter, reflecting on the resurrection, as Peter wrote to the scattered followers of Jesus, he wrote about how the resurrection changes everything. And when I was trying to figure out what scripture to preach from for this message, I had three or four scriptures, and then I read Daniel's testimony, and I realized the one I really wanted to preach on was a scripture that he shared with us a few moments ago. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, Peter shares how the resurrection of Christ influences our lives. And he wrote this. in the last time peter tells us first through the resurrection of jesus from the dead we have a living hope we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead god's mercy is so great that he wanted to give every one of us a living hope that would not die Most of us have experienced at some point in our lives, we've experienced hopelessness or a dying hope. Maybe um, it's a relationship that you treasured and it started to die and your hope started to die with it. Maybe it was the hope for a particular job or a particular career. Maybe it was a hope for a particular romantic relationship. Or maybe you lost hope in someone that you looked up to and you realized that you could never do that again. Some of us have lost hope in particular churches, and some of us have lost hope in the church altogether. Here's what hopelessness says, this dying hope. Hopelessness says the best is past, the present and the future, can never measure up, so why bother? Hopelessness cripples us. Why bother if the best is already past? Why wake up in the morning? Why bother to keep on going? In contrast to a lost and dying hope, a living hope always says the best is yet to come. Because of God's mercy to us, through the resurrection of Jesus, we don't have a dying hope, we have a living hope. We know that no matter what comes, no matter whether what pandemics come, no matter what death comes into our life, no matter what trials happen, that we have a living hope that will always endure. It's okay for us to get discouraged, to be disappointed. It's okay for us to be in pain Because Jesus Christ our Lord rose from the dead, and we too will rise from the dead. Because of God's great mercy, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in us, and we too shall rise. And we will see Jesus face to face. We will experience praise and glory and honor. We will experience more blessing, more glory, and more honor than we can even dare to imagine in this life. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, nothing, absolutely nothing can defeat our living hope because it's not from us, it is from God. Hebrews 6.19 reminds us that hope is the anchor for our souls. When the storms come, we are anchored in a living hope knowing the best is yet to come. That's not all. Peter goes on, and he says that we also have a guaranteed inheritance. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have an absolutely guaranteed inheritance. John 1 verses 12 and 13 just lay out some of the promises, and we sometimes get used to them as as followers of Jesus, but John 1, 12 and 13 says, to all who received Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Everyone who believes in Jesus is adopted into the family of the Most High God. From spiritual beggars, from spiritual paupers, we become sons and daughters of the King of the universe. And Romans 17 says, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So if you want to just look up in an online Bible concordance the word inherit and you'll see all of the things that we inherit as followers of Jesus. We will inherit the earth, we inherit the kingdom of God, we inherit abundant life, we inherit eternal life, we inherit salvation. Followers of Jesus inherit every blessing and promise of God as co-heirs with Christ. And so Peter describes our inheritance as imperishable, incorruptible, and unfading. I don't know whether you've discovered this yet, but you will eventually if you haven't already. Earthly inheritances are really, really fickle. How much, you know, your parents leave to you as an inheritance depends on so many things. Depends on how long they live. Depends on their medical expenses the last six months that they live. It depends on whether they're still happy with you when they're old and you're being annoying. Earthly inheritances are incredibly fickle. They're not a sure thing. But because of Jesus' resurrection, our inheritance as sons and daughters of the king of the universe is utterly guaranteed. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have an, an inheritance that is incredible imperishable, incorruptible, indestructible, inexhaustible, and inevitable because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Nothing is more guaranteed in your life than our inheritance as sons and daughters of God. I love how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived of the things that God has prepared for those who love him just two more number three peter says that we also have a powerful protection because of the resurrection of jesus from the dead starting with verse three blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead "...to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, unfading, kept in heaven for you." And this, verse 5, "...who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time." Because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we are guarded by God's power through faith. Through faith we have a powerful protection. And it's not connected to the intensity or strength of our faith. It is connected to the power of God. In Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. If you look at that and pay attention to, um, to that verse, you realize that Paul put together the same three things that Peter did with hope, inheritance, and power. And then Paul continues, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Corinthians 6:14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. And then Second Peter 1, 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a life of godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have God's power available to us in our lives, in every, every part of our lives. In our doubts, God's power will protect us in our relationships, in our school, and in our work. We have God's power available to protect us in learning things like Sabbath rest, in developing things like a God honoring sexuality. We have the power of God guarding us to live fully into our unique holy callings, to experience and create more beauty, to be more holy, and to be on a mission to make the world a better place. Through faith, we are being guarded with the same powerful protection that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So, how do we respond to all that, right? Allow me just to read the next three verses and minimal comment, because I think they're gonna resonate with your own souls this Easter Sunday morning. Peter continues with verse six. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These trials, and you all know the trials that you've had this last year, this last three years, throughout your life. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, these trials have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Because of the resurrection. Even though we don't see Jesus now, we still love him. Imagine the power of a life that can influence thousands of years later for people like Daniel to come and share his testimony of how he came to love Jesus. Imagine the power of a life that thousands of years later, families bring their children and dedicate them to the Lord. Imagine that kind. Though we do not see him, we love him. And though we don't see him now, we trust him. And then that last gift that Peter talks about of the resurrection for us. Because of the resurrection, we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I don't even know how to talk about that it's inexpressible and glorious through the resurrection of jesus we have a profound joy that is resilient a joy that's confident especially in the hardest times in our lives a joy that is persistent in times of pain we have the gift of an inexpressible and glorious joy. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, in all of our troubles, our joy knows no bounds. Now, we may have to wait for Jesus to come and find us in those times of pain, but he always will. And our joy knows no bounds. So, you know, I hope you know why Christians worship on Sunday. The Jews worship on the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath, because that's the day that God rested. But Christians worship on the first day of the week on Sunday. And the reason for that is because it was on the first day of the week that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, which means that every Sunday worship is, and Pastor Danny said this a number of times, every Sunday worship is a celebration of and a a reveling in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I'd like to encourage you, this is my last Easter Sunday as lead pastor of Cornerstone Church. I'd like to encourage you to not miss Sundays, to gather together with the saints, to hear the word of God, to love one another, and to remember the resurrection of Jesus through which you have a living hope, you have a guaranteed inheritance, you have a powerful protection, and you have an inexpressible and glorious joy. Just take a deep breath and soak in that. Cornerstone Church. Christ is risen, risen. and that changes everything.